again, everyone, and welcome to another Monday night. That means it's time for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell, and alongside our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening. How are you this week? I'm well, David. How are you? It's it's, it's a pretty good week for both of us. Uh, our teams, the Reds had a 500 road trip, pretty tough one, and the Indians played lights out. Yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, they went 6-1 and one throughout the week. The only way you can better that is to go unbeaten, but what the heck, they didn't do that. We'll, we'll take a 6-1 and one mark every week. But you and I were talking a little bit before the game, and, and I'm going to start off the show with this because it may be the only time I'll be able to say it throughout the year. But Drew Stubbs is hitting 275, so the Drew Stubbs watch continues. He was 14, or he was 10 of 24 last week, Mark, with only three strikeouts during the week. An unbelievable week for Drew Stubbs. You know, the irony is that with the Reds losing their number four hitter in the first game of the season and Heisey on the DL, if the Reds had kept Drew Stubbs, he'd be playing every day right now. Yeah, and, and, and the Indians actually got Stubbs to play center field. The Michael Bourne deal came down. They moved Stubbs to right, but now because of the injury to Michael Bourne, Stubbs is back in center field and playing pretty well there. I do want to let everybody know that Michael Bourne is going out on a rehab assignment. It began tonight in Columbus with the Clippers. He's going to be playing there for the next three days. He'll DH tonight. He'll play seven innings in center field tomorrow, and he'll play a full game on Wednesday. He may be back on Thursday for the A's day game. Both teams are playing tonight, Mark, the Indians are hosting the A's. This is the first of nine tough games. This is going to be a tough stretch for the Indians. And for the Reds, they're playing uh, the first of three against Atlanta tonight against in the Great American Ballpark. So, And right now I think the Reds are down. Yeah, they're down 4-2. to two, And uh, they, they've had a couple chances with runners on here in the last couple of innings, but have only been able to put across two runs. So it's it's the you know the Reds as I we, before we got on the air, I think this year it, it's going to be a struggle as you know I picked the Reds to, to finish third. I know a lot of people disagree with that, but the Reds have so many holes in that lineup offensively. You've got Johnny Cueto hurt, uh, your number one pitcher, uh, and I, I just don't think the Reds are going to have enough horses. To, to knock off St. Louis or or Milwaukee. I think both of them, and Pittsburgh's going to be in the mix too. So I think the Reds are going to have their hands full the rest of the year unless, a big unless, uh, Ryan Ludwig comes back and surprises everybody and, and contributes offensively immediately, or they go out and get another bat or two. Okay, first things first. We want to let everybody know that we have got a big announcement coming for our Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Mark and I are going to disclose that announcement coming up at the bottom half of the hour. We've also got a great guest for you tonight. We're going to be talking to Tony Lastoria from IndiansBaseballInsider.com. He's the minor league expert for the Cleveland Indians, and we're going to talk to him about what's going on just below the major league level in the Indians' hierarchy. And if you want to get a hold of us, feel free. You can call us on Twitter at OHBB co-host, or you can send us an email 
at dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or ask us at ultimatesportstalk.com. We're going to have our Ask Us segment coming up right after our big announcement, which will happen here about 9.30 this evening. But, Mark, we're going to start off tonight talking about the Indians because with their 6-1 and one mark, they're now 14-14 and 14 overall. They've won six of their last seven. They're playing Oakland at home tonight. Ironically, they're up in the ballgame 4-2 over the A's in the sixth inning. But I'll tell you what, the Indians have been playing some good baseball. They're leading the American League in home runs with 43 so far this year. Scott Kazmir picked up his first win since 2010 on Saturday. He also got his 1,000th career shut, uh, career strikeout, I should say. And believe it or not, don't fall off your seat, but Ubaldo Jimenez has actually pitched two outstanding ball games. One against Kansas City last week, and then tonight against Oakland, he pitched five and two-thirds and left with a 4-2 to two lead, and he also got his 1,000th career strikeout tonight. So I'll tell you what, Mark. Things seem to be coming around for the Indians. I hope they keep this up. I don't know if they can win the division, but what the heck, if they can keep this up, it should be an interesting summer. Yeah, and I think you mentioned earlier, don't they play the uh, the uh, the Royals this week? No, they've got the Tigers this week. Ti- that's right, the Tigers. That's right, the Tigers, that's right. You, and you, you the, mentioned... I'm sorry, go it, ahead, Mark. You, you mentioned today that uh, this is a big week for them because if they can hold their own against these teams, these competitive teams, uh, and, and not get too far behind, uh, you know, I think the Indians can surprise people. I, I believe you had them, what, pick second this year? Yeah, I had the Indians. Uh, I had actually had the Indians third. I thought Kansas third? City would finish second. But I'll tell you what, Kansas City, their pitching is not as impressive as I thought it was going to be. Detroit, boy, they mopped up on Houston this weekend. Houston has really got some problems. But, you know, hey, it's like I wanted to bring up the red sweep in Chicago this weekend. It's something that the doctor ordered for the Reds, Mark, the the Reds going in there and sweeping the Cubs at Wrigley Field. But it's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, it is. And I tell you, those three games, if you're a Cubs fan, uh, you have to lament the fact that the Cubs could have and should have won all three of those games. Uh, not that the Reds didn't play well, but the, the, the you know the Marmel came in there uh, on um, I guess it was Saturday and and walked the walked the stadium, gave them the game, and then uh, they had the bases loaded on Friday with two out in the ninth inning, winning a tying run at third and the winning run at second, and uh, uh, Barney struck out. And then yesterday, uh, they had a chance to win that game, too. So, uh, you know, the Reds are playing good enough to beat teams like that. The problem is, if you look at who they've played this year, they have not done well against teams with winning records. Uh, In fact, they've had their heads handed to them. So that's what concerns me about the Reds. I I think they're a middle-of-the-road team the way it stands now. That doesn't mean it can't change. But last week, when when, uh, Johnny Cueto... Uh, did not respond well to a a workout. Uh, you know this thing could linger with him for, for the rest of the year. And if you don't have Johnny Cueto at the top of your rotation, it puts a lot of strain on that pitching staff, both at the starter level and in the bullpen. And Tony Singrani seemed to come back down to earth. I think it was his start on Saturday. Well, yeah, but you know he he only gave up three hits in the whole game. Pitched six innings, gave up three hits. Unfortunately, two of them were uh, hangers to uh, uh, 
Alfonso Soriano, uh, who I, I mentioned to you earlier, he is the most remarkably inept outfielder I have ever seen at the major league level. It's it's unbelievable how this guy, I, I don't know where else you could put him other than first base, but every fly ball, if I'm a pitcher, I see a ball go to left field and I start saying my Hail Marys because it's a it's a real adventure on every play with Soriano. And I concluded that his contract has to be one of the top three worst contracts in the history of baseball. Maybe uh, you could throw in maybe Randy Myers when he signed with San Diego back in uh, the, the 90s after his heyday with the Reds. But you can't think of many contracts that are as bad as Soriano's. Mark, are you saying that Soriano is not the answer to the Reds' left field problems? <laughs> no, he's he's the answer to your nightmares uh, in left field and, and even offensively. He's only he only had I think uh, what two RBIs coming into the series this week with the Reds. He got seven this weekend, but he's only got nine RBIs all year. He strikes out a lot, and uh, I'm not saying he's a bad person. I'm saying whoever signed him to a 10-year contract worth what I think it was uh, 120, 130 million dollars had had to be smoking something because uh, he he is really, and I have a lot of friends in Chicago who, who relate this to me as well that. He is just a terrible outfielder. <laughs> That's all you can say about it. Well, you know, the Reds are 18-14 and 14 coming into tonight's game. They were 4-2 and two on the week, Mark. They've won three straight. They were 5-5 five and five in their last ten games. Right now they're two and a half games behind the Cardinals in the Central and a half a game ahead of Pittsburgh. They're playing the Braves tonight in the first game of a three-game series. But we've got to talk about what happened yesterday at Wrigley Field because, boy, that, that news generated all the way into Cleveland today when Shinsu Chu and Brandon Phillips collided in center field on a fly ball. I happened to turn over to WGN about two batters before that happened yesterday afternoon and had the chance to see it. And, Mark, the big question I've got is I didn't see either player call the other one off. No, and that's that's Chu's responsibility. Uh, you got it, or I got it. You know, you you let him know. Phillips should have caught the ball. It, it yeah. bounced off his glove, and nine times out of ten, he's going to catch that ball. But when he missed it, it glanced right into the face of Chu. <clears throat> so he was. Uh, I think he could have had it, but his first step was back. And but but Brandon Phillips, I think, would admit it wasn't an error. It was a tough chance. But Brandon Phillips eats those things up typically, and uh, that that was just unfortunate. Really, it didn't cost him the game, but uh, Matt Lakos had his scoreless streak end on something like that. Well, and the strange thing, I thought, was the very next batter popped the same type of fly ball out to left field where Cozart and Xavier Paul almost collided on the same type of play in left. Yeah, the Cubs, you know, the Cubs got all the breaks yesterday and still lost. Uh, there was another pop fly they got. Uh, that dropped in for the Cubs <clears throat> earlier. So when you're playing poorly, I guess the breaks don't help. Uh, but uh, it, it was very windy up in Chicago, and Wrigley Field can be treacherous with the wind and the sun, and that's certainly what happened yesterday. Well, so the Reds come home on the midst of a three-game winning streak, winning all three in Chicago. The Indians, as I said, 
these next nine games, Mark, are going to probably tell the story for the Indians this season. They've got the four games here with Oakland that they're leading tonight uh, in game one. They've got Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon. Then they go to Detroit for a three-game set against the first-place Tigers. Then they have to come home on Monday and play a traditional doubleheader against the New York Yankees to make up those two games that they lost about three weeks ago on the opening series of the year. So these next nine games, Mark, I think the Indians, it, it's imperative that they go five and four at least in these nine games. Yeah, and I think if they do, and they hang around with the pitching you guys have, that starting rotation, uh, you know, I, I think they're going to be able to hang in there the rest of the year if they, if they don't get too far behind. And that's what you want to avoid early in the season is that you get, you know, seven or eight games back uh, early on, and then you're fighting an uphill battle the rest of the way. Yeah, the bad news is is that with this winning streak that the Indians are on, they've also lost Vinny Pistano, their setup man. He was placed on the 15-day DL today. Nick Hagedon, as I said, was recalled to come up and take his spot. Pistano's got a sore right elbow. They, according to Terry Francona, they're doing this as just a precaution. Uh, his his elbow was tight over the last three or four days. He did throw yesterday. They said he felt pretty good, but he was still a little sore today, so they decided to go ahead and put him on the 15-day DL. I'll tell you, Mark, if they lose him and Brett Myers is gone for the year, which very possibly could be the case, uh, the Indians' bullpen suddenly is down a pitcher or two, and they're going to have to dig deep in that minor league system, and that's one thing I want to ask our guest, Tony Lastoria, when he comes on. Do the Indians have somebody down there that can come up and help right away? Well, I think that separates, I think, the, the, the good teams, the teams that are going to compete this year, and, and every year for that matter. It's, it's awfully tough to do it, number one, with a starting nine, that you have to depend on every day. You need you need a solid bench. You need 25 people to do it. But in today's uh, the frequency frequency with which players go to the DL, you really need 30 guys, 32 guys. You need that minor league system to provide you backup and and relief uh, throughout the year if you're going to compete. Very few teams go through an entire season without somebody being on the DL. Uh, at least for a period of time, and that's where you need that bench. And the bench can extend all the way down to AAA and even AA sometimes, where you pick up the extra four or five players that are going to help you win. So, you know, I think the Indians, if, if, looking at their roster, if I looked at that compared to, to, say, the Reds or a team that you would expect to compete for a division, I think that's the weakness of the Indians. They don't have a lot of depth. They've got some good players, good young players. They've got strong pitching, but, you know, what happens if you lose one of your your studs either from your rotation or your starting lineup with Cleveland. It's, it's going to be hard to replace. Catastrophe. That's the word. Um, if, if, they, if they lose a Josh Masterson or the way Jimenez is pitching right now, they lose him. If they even lose a Pistano or a Chris Perez, it, it's catastrophe. But let's look on the other side. Let's look at the bright side. Ryan Rayburn was named the player of the week in the American League. That's the first time it's happened to a Cleveland Indian, Mark, since it happened to Asdrubal Cabrera on April 11th of 2011. Rayburn batted 591 with four homers. He was 13 for 22 
with nine RBIs and five runs scored over five games to win that first award. Matter of fact, Mark, he was the only the fourth ball player in the history of Major League Baseball, joining the ranks of Duke Snyder, Kirby Puckett, and, oh, man, I, I had the third one all set up, and now I don't remember who it is, but there's a third one where he had over three games, 11 hits, and four home runs, and the third one was Sean Green when he was with the Dodgers. Remember that name? When he was with Sean the Green. Dodgers, he had 12 hits and seven home runs in a three-game span. Yeah, and I think that was in Milwaukee when he had four home runs and a double. If you remember that game in Milwaukee, uh, that, that, I'm sure that's the week he did that. Uh, so w- was Rayburn during spring training or last year, was any indication he had this kind of potential? He was one of the Tigers' main prospects years ago. Matter of fact, when he came up with the Tigers, he was projected to be their starting second baseman for years. And last year he went into the season as the starting second baseman and then got injured and just fell off the radar for Jim Leland and Dave Dombrowski. And and in the winter they just decided to let him go. Terry Francona made one phone call and he signed with the Indians and made the team as a free agent in spring training. And I'll tell you what, Mark, when Michael Bourne comes back and, and regains that center field spot, you could be looking at a dynamic duo between Drew Stubbs and Ryan Rayburn to see who's going to be the starting right fielder for the Indians. Well, it's uh, it's a good problem to have. You know, it's never a problem when you have too many players. It's only a problem when you don't have enough. But, you know, looking at the standings, uh, I, I think you're right this this next week. Uh, if, if if Cleveland can get through Detroit, you know, D- Detroit, as you well know, they're playing great ball. They've won nine out of their last ten. They've won four in a row. Uh, they just completely dismantled Houston this week. Uh, but if you can get through a week like this and come out of it and you're still only two or three games behind or even four games behind, uh, nothing wrong with that. And it, it's still May. And, uh, again, you just don't want to lose five or six of these games and all of a sudden you, you know, you're seven or eight games back. And that's what you want to avoid this time of year. Well, Mark, I think the teams that the Reds and the Indians are chasing – the Cardinals and the Tigers right now have the identical same problem. And that is they've got great hitting, and the back end of their bullpen is in disarray right now. Jason Mott is gone for the year for the Cardinals. They're relying on Edward Mujica to come in and save games for them, and I'm not sure if that's going to work or not. I remember him when he was with the Indians, and it was like pouring gas on a fire. On the other hand, the Tigers have brought back Jose Valverde, and his fastball, when I saw him pitch the other day, it isn't even getting over 91 miles an hour. And for a closer, you've got a problem if you can't throw a fastball, and that's your main pitch, over 91 miles an hour. Yeah, the the bullpens have changed so much in the last 10, 20 years. Uh, You used to have guys like Bruce Suter who would come in uh, with with that, that splitter he had, and then uh, uh, Trevor Hoffman had the changeup in San Diego. And even some of the other pitchers, uh, John Franco, they had a screwball. They had these trick pitches. But now you have guys who come in and just throw gas like Chapman. And there's a lot there's a lot more Chapmans out there than you might imagine. A lot of guys throwing close to 100 miles an hour now. Uh, you know, I, I bet you there are at least five or six guys throwing that hard. And, you know, it's really hard to square a fastball. You know, people say, 
the hardest thing to do in, in sports is to hit a hit a baseball, but the hardest thing to do in baseball is to hit a good fastball. And <laughs> you get a guy like Chapman, uh, it's awfully hard to hit him. And I think like Mojica and the other guys you mentioned, uh, the the hitters will figure those guys out. They, you know, they'll they'll start sitting on that uh, that splitter and uh, the the change ups they throw. And if you're doing that from the bullpen, you, you know you, you're you're taking a lot of chances. Uh, Chapman just comes in and says, here, hit it. If you want to hit it, hit it. And uh, even the other day when he gave up three runs, they didn't hit him that hard. They had they had some hits, but a lot of them were swing swinging late, singles to right field. Uh, a couple of them just bounced through the infield. So uh, you're right. I don't think a Mejica or some other guys are really carved out to be bullpen stoppers. I've always thought it was funny that you've got a round bat and a round ball, and to be successful, you've got to square them up. Yeah, yep. I, I've just always found that to be to be amazing. Hey, I want to go off the Indians and Reds here just for a second as we await uh, the phone call for Tony Lastoria. But I, I, I've got to ask you, Mark, you know, one of the things that I said at the beginning of the season was the Mike Sosha death watch out in Los Angeles with the Angels. It, it may not be Tony La Russa as their new manager, but uh, I would say that within a month, if they don't improve their play, he's gone. Yeah, it's it's almost unbelievable with the talent. You look at their roster. Uh, for this team this early to be nine games back is, is astonishing. And, you know, when you, when you look at contracts, you, you hate to say this because I'm a huge fan of Albert Pujols, but... Wow. I mean, what do you do with this guy uh, when he he looks so old right now? And maybe he's got to lose a little weight or whatever it might be. But, uh, man, that that Angels situation could be an an absolute disaster when you look at signing Josh Hamilton and Albert Pujols and the the pitchers they've, they've signed. To be that far out this early, it, it is a catastrophe. Well, let's get back to the Indians and the Reds, primarily the Indians right now. And let's bring in our guest for tonight, Tony Lastoria from IndiansBaseballInsider.com. He's the man that's in the know about the Indians minor league baseball system. Tony, thanks again for joining us. How you doing tonight? Doing pretty good, guys. How are you? Fine, Tony. Thanks for oh, joining us. We're yeah, doing great. Thanks pleasure. for joining hey, us, Tony. Hey, I, you know, we wanted to bring you on board as we do every year and talk about the Indians minor league system and, and this year with the, the major league team having a, a cloud of excitement over it. Maybe the the attention has been taken away a little bit from the minor leagues, but not in your area. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in the minor leagues right now and, and do they have some exciting players down there to be uh, looking forward to in the next two or three years. We'll get into some specifics, but right now, just some generics. Yeah, I mean, overall, yeah. I mean, if you look at their AAA roster, it's a pretty barren group of guys. It's it's kind of like the Double A roster was last year. So yeah, I think I think what you're seeing is you're seeing a, a push up of a lot of the prospects are starting to move up into Double A and High A now. Uh, they're still pretty, pretty much then you know to put it bluntly, there's not much. Aside from a few arms in Columbus, Triple A Columbus, so um, you know that, that's why I think you saw them make a lot of a couple splashes, so to speak, in free agency, and 
hopefully they have those those uh you know uh, bridge to you know to to uh, the gaps between those guys that are coming and the guys that are already there. So yeah, it's definitely not a, a very sexy system in the upper levels, but uh there's you know, there's a lot of talent there at the double A and especially the high A level right now. You know what I like what they've done in Columbus, Tony, is they didn't stock it full of veteran free agent ball players that were just hanging on to get a paycheck. They, like you said, they just brought up the Akron players from a year ago and pushed them up and, and let the younger players in the lower levels just play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's not much prospect wise. I mean, yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, veteran organizational guys that have been with the team for a while that have kind of made their way up into Columbus. Yeah, it's not it's not the most uh, like I said like a slick, sexy um, roster as far as high end prospects or guys that are going to impact the major league roster. But there's a couple interesting uh, bullpen arms. Obviously, there's two good starting pitching options: Trevor Bauer and Carlos Carrasco. that are down there. And, uh, I mean, there's not much as far as the bat goes, although they have Jan Gomez. Uh, you know, he's up in Cleveland now, but, uh, you know, it's, he, he came from there at the start of the season. So, so there are a couple interesting, um, options down there that they can pull from. Hey, Tony, this is Mark Donahue. Got a question for you about Bauer. Uh, do you think that, that he is a fixable commodity? I saw him pitch last year here in Cincinnati and he's got a cannon for an arm. But what have you seen so far, and what what are your expectations for him? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, I mean, obviously, all the talent is there. He's got you know, some unbelievable breaking stuff. Uh, curveball when the thing is on, it's almost unhittable. Uh, you know, the velocity. You know, you can't argue about the velocity. He gets good movement on his fastball. He's got a good uh, deep mix of pitches. It's, it's obviously, as it does for every pitcher at the major league level, it's going to come down to command and, and the consistency of it. And, you know, that's what we have seen so far in his short stint last year in Arizona, where he struggled, where he struggled with walks. And we've definitely seen it so far, um, this year in Cleveland in, in his two opportunities he had to pitch. He has like 13 walks and 10 innings or whatever. You know, that's, that's going to be the area of, uh, concern going forward. I mean, what I like though is, the walks don't phase him. You know, guys get on base and he's, he's, he's even tougher to hit and he actually kind of bear down a little more. So maybe he just pitches better out of stretch. I don't know. But I think that he, you know, he's 22 years old. You know, it's easier said than done for a kid to pick up command. You know, it's, it's a mechanics thing. He's very in tune to his mechanics. So I'm actually kind of surprised that his command is not better than it has been. But I think, um, I definitely think at some point he's going to settle into a pitcher where he's going to give up his fair share of walks, but he's going to, you know, do his fair share of strikeouts too. And, uh, it's just once you can learn to more consistently pound the lower part of the zone, because if you, if anybody had a chance to watch his last outing, I mean, I think, uh, 70% of his pitches were, you know, above the middle of the zone and higher. So he has to get that ball down a little bit. I think once he does that, he's going to take off. You know, he Tony, reminds... I had an opportunity to talk to somebody in Arizona, a couple of reporters out in Arizona when this trade was made, and they said his his mm-hmm. attitude is what's really hurting him, and he doesn't listen a lot to his coaches. What have you seen or heard? Is, has he improved in that area? You know, I, I, I'm surprised at that because I mean, there hasn't been any issues with that since he joined the Indians. I mean, yeah, maybe there was a, a conflict there with the um, with the Arizona coaches, 
you know, obviously Kirk Gibson's an old school kind of guy, and there may have been a um, a thing there where they just didn't get along, you know. And sometimes guys just rub each other wrong way, and it's kind of hard to, I guess, recover from that. I haven't seen any issues whatsoever. You know, the Indians have been pretty um, have been pretty open. I, I think in this case, they knew what they were getting, so they had to be open. I guess you can say. Uh, whereas the Diamondbacks, you know, he came in as their draft pick, and maybe they tried to mold him into something he's not. Um, so, you know, he, he's a unique personality. You know, he obviously has his quirks. Uh, he's extremely intelligent. And maybe something like that, when you have a kid that's so intelligent like that, it can be a little intimidating to uh, to a manager maybe something like that. I'm not saying that was the case, but, you know, sometimes when you have a kid that's that smart, uh, sometimes things can maybe come off the wrong way. He can say things that come off the wrong way. But ever since he's been with the Indians, he's been, you know, he's been, you know, a model citizen, if you want to call it that. And he's listened to coaching, and he's doing, he's putting in the work, and I haven't seen any issues whatsoever. It's funny when Tony, I first... Talk. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, when I first saw him pitch, and I heard the announcers last year, and I saw him in person... He reminded me a little bit of the way Homer Bailey has developed. Uh, just a great arm, wasn't able to put it together really until last year. But when you have an arm like that, and he, and he is intelligent, uh, that's a pretty good combination. And I, I think the Indians made a great trade there. And I, I think if they are patient with this guy, and they, you're right, if they get the right kind of coaching into this kid's head, I think you're going to have uh, a real a real stud on your hands. Yeah, well, well, hopefully it doesn't take him as long as Bailey has taken. You know, you know, that would, uh, you know, you know, what, it took three or four years at least for Bailey to come around. But yeah, definitely, you know, with Bauer, you know, it's going to come down to patience and, um, an understanding there. And, you know, there's going to probably have to be some give and take from both sides. But, uh, you know, obviously the stuff is there. I think, you know, the Indians may have, you know, I feel like I feel like over the years they haven't gotten a lot of breaks, so to speak, with uh, guys leaving a free agency or or being traded because before they can be a free agent and you know just not a very they just haven't gotten a lot of breaks over the years. I, I'm hoping that in this in this trade, I mean, look, they traded one year of Shinsu Chu. I mean, Shinsu Chu is going to be gone after this year if he was a Cleveland Indian. There's no way they're going to resign him. He's looking at you know, a five six year deal in the offseason. He's going to get his Eighty, ninety million dollars, maybe even a hundred million to keep up how he's been doing. You know, I, I think you know, obviously that's way out of their price range, even with their bigger commitment to spending a little bit. There's just going to be a bigger market team out there for those bats and those pitchers. But they, they basically flipped him one year of him for a, a pitcher that they're going to pretty much now control for seven years. And uh, also, I mean, you know, you know, they got a you know, reliever in Brian Shaw, the salad, you know, set up a uh, uh, middle relief guy, and uh, you know, a couple other pieces like Mitch Albert is more of a fungible kind of reliever. But you know, and then they also got Drew Stubbs. They got that guy for three years, and he's got some upside. You know, there's some warts, but he's got some upside there. Maybe a change of scenery helps him out, and so far it looks like it has. So, I definitely think that's a, you know, I think they took the opportunity of a, of a trade where a guy was. Had lost some value to the organization, and it happens. You know, teams sometimes just underselling guys. I really, I think the Diamondbacks undersold it, and now it's up to Bauer to kind of prove that that was the case. Tony, okay, three specific players in the Indians minor leagues that everybody's keeping an eye on. First one, 
Francisco Lindor. What's his strengths and what are his weaknesses? Well, his, his he's I really just had a weakness in his game. It, it's actually kind of disgusting when you think about how talented he is. I mean, he's already, a, I think, a unanimous top 10, top 20 prospect in all of baseball. And with the start he's off to this year and with the strides he's made, I and mean, look, he didn't have much, I mean, he's already good as it is, but the stride, I mean, he's made even more strides from last year to this year. I mean, I think there's a good chance he could be one of the top two or three prospects going into, going into baseball next year. Maybe even some, the, the number one, depending on, you know, who's still eligible or whatnot by the end of the year. But I think that, I mean, probably the most impressive thing, obviously, you know, his defense is unbelievable. I mean, he's a very good defender. I mean, this is lateral quickness. It's, it's just, it's, it's unmistakable. The Indians, uh, do, um, uh, they do like strength and conditioning drills every year where they test out their players and, you know, they do these, what they call five, five, ten, five drills where they will go, have a player run laterally five yards uh, to the left, and they'll run five yards or ten yards to the right, and then five yards to the left back where he started. And he just destroyed all the records that they've had over the years uh, as far as that lateral quickness goes in that drill. I mean, he, he, you know, this is going 10, 20, 30 years back for as long as they've been keeping tabs every year. So, you know, he's got that amazing, you know, first step quickness. At shortstop, and uh, just all the intangibles you want out of a, of a you know a defensive mind at shortstop, but he can also hit a little bit too, and he's showing those strides this year where he's showing a good approach. He, he he can steal some bases, but I think in addition to the defense, probably the most um, amazing thing is how hard he works. I mean, he doesn't act like a top prospect. You know, some guys you know you know they're number one, number two prospect. They kind of you know, puffs the chest out a little bit and maybe they don't think they need to work as hard and, 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 and they read the newspaper. He acts and trains and, and goes about his business like he's an undrafted, uh, free agent signing. A kid that got, you know, a thousand dollar bonus just to sign and, and is just an organizational guy trying to hang on. That's how much he works. That's how hard he works. And it's just that commitment to his game and how routine oriented he is and how coachable he is that is just so impressive and, that, I mean, I don't know, I don't think there's enough, you know, adjectives to kind of describe how, I mean, how good he is. I think really the only thing that's going to prevent him from stardom is going to be an injury. I mean, you know, you know look, how many prospects have we seen in the past? They had it all laid out in front of them and they had like a big injury that kind of sidetracked them. So if he can avoid that big injury and uh, keep on his pathways going, I think he's going to be a, a very good player in major leagues for a long, long time. How far away is he? I think at this rate, how it's planning out is he might, if he's, you know, depending on how things go, he might get a small look at the end of next season, but I don't think he's going to be in Cleveland anytime uh, before uh, 2015. I think that's kind of the uh, the uh, ETA, so to speak, because they got Cabrera under contract another year. Yeah, they might trade Cabrera, but then they got Mike Aviles, who's, in, who's under contract through 2015. He's a good handcuff guy that they that they know they have. So they don't want to rush Francisco, but then again, he he's going to choose his own timeline based on how he performs and how he develops. So if they feel he needs to be challenged and move up, then they're going to do that. But I mean, I know he's off to an incredible start right now. He had a great month of April and off to a good month of May. I you know if he keeps this up, 
you know, they do have a couple higher-end prospects that are in the middle infield and Jose Ramirez and Ryan Rodriguez and an Akron. But eventually, sometimes you have to make a, a, a decision there. I wouldn't be surprised if he does, does keep this up that he, you know, he could see Akron in July maybe. But I think he's going to spend a majority of the year in Carolina. Probably spend a majority of the year next year in double A, maybe fifth year, um, this year in double A and fifth year next year in triple A. And then we'll see how things shake out uh, at the beginning of 2015 where he opens in Columbus, and then he's an option from that point going forward. Okay, how about Dylan Baker? He's a young uh, guy that got a draft last year, a guy of Alaska, and he, um, you know, he's he's that one. He's probably oh, fifth, sixth as far as starting pitching options go, uh, prospects, but he's. He's one of their bigger upside arms because of because of the velocity he has and um, the, uh, the potential he has with breaking ball and also his ability to potentially start and be a good number three starter, maybe even a number two if things keep going well. So I I like I like him. You know, he needs to eat some arms. And I think that's the weakest part of their organization is they lack those those um, established starting pitching prospects. That, you know they have a lot of they have a lot of interesting arms, I mean, as every team does, but they don't have any guys that are really established as guys, you know, that they can look at and go, hey, this guy's going to be something in a couple of years. Let's keep an eye on this guy. And I think he's one of them that could, could be one of those guys. He just has to have a, he has to make a step forward this year to kind of prove that he is that, you know, obviously they have Bauer we've talked about and then, you know, Danny Salazar is an actor is another option there, but beyond those two guys, there's nothing established as far as starting pitching options go, which is that's kind of bad. We look at it; you can have more than that. And uh, you know they have a lot of young young arms down there. And, and Baker's Baker and Mitch Brown and Lake County are at the head of that uh, class. You know, I, I think Baker. You know, he's gonna. I, I think ultimately what it's gonna come down to is he just can't prove himself this year. You know, he, he was a high round draft pick last year, got a lot of money. Um, he shows the ability to get strikeouts. He's just going to have to show that consistency where he can locate, locate his pitch as well and his, and his um, secondary offering to improve. And he's got to show that, you know, change up and have that third pitch. You know, all those things in that first full season, you got to kind of show to kind of move forward as a starter. Well, Tyler Naquin, I want to ask you about him because uh, the fact is during the draft last year when the Indians took him at – all the guys on the Major League Baseball Network about fell off their chairs, including John Hart. So, what, uh, what what's the story on him, and how's he doing? Is he proving that he should have been drafted that high? Yeah, I mean he's doing okay. I mean, he's off to a pretty good start this year. You know, I, I think um, yeah, it was definitely an underwhelming pick. I think a lot of people would like to see something more there. I personally would, would like to see an arm because they need arms, but they need outfielders too. I mean, look, they they don't have anything as far as outfield. I mean, I'm talking legitimate outfield prospects at anywhere above single A. So they they definitely need some outfield guys, and they felt he was a guy that could move fast, and they they think he can impact the game with his arm in the outfield, his defense out there. Uh, he's got he has some wheels. He's not he's not a burner out there, but he's got the ability to you know swipe a couple bags. He runs the bases really well. So he's got all those intangibles of the defense and the, and and the arm and, and, and the hitting, I mean, the hitting might be his best tool. He's got a very good, uh, bat to ball ability. Uh, he's working through his discipline right now. He's, 
Uh, there is some concern with the strike. He's got to actually have pretty, pretty notable strikeout rate going right now. He's got to walk a little bit more and all those things, and that's why he's going to stick around in Carolina a little bit longer probably than, than maybe people forecasted when the season started. But, you know, uh, you know, ultimately, the, you know, the, you know, the big question mark is the power with him. If he's going to ever show any power. I mean, you know, for a, for a first round draft pick, you, know, you, you kind of wish you'd get a guy that maybe can be a little more productive with that and is not going to be a complimentary player, which is kind of what he projects as right now. I mean, he, he could probably start and he's going to, I think what, I think initially when it, when that pick was made, a lot of clubs were uncertain that he could handle center field. The Indians were pretty confident that they get it, he could and he's shown it. And I think, Knowing that, that he can actually be a pretty solid center fielder and he's got those other abilities, I don't think the reaction would have been so much like, whoa, whoa, what the heck are they doing? Or, you know, I think that a lot of people now are like, you know, I actually wasn't that bad of a pick. So, you know, time will tell, you know, you know, these, you know, first round picks for any team, you know, it's, it's kind of funny to look back at some of these drafts five, six years ago and you see certain guys go here and certain guys go there. And you see such a high failure rate that, you know, I guess we'll just have to see how this one shot and how this one shakes out. Sometimes it's the picks that underwhelm you that turn out to be a lot more. So, I'm, um, you know, as a person who follows the Indians and writes bomb and, and all that stuff, I'm kind of hoping that, you know, like I said with Bauer, I'm hoping he's kind of got a break here for once and have a first round pick that kind of turns out to be something because that's not an area where they have had a lot of success at over the last 10, 12 years. And that's why they've had some, some issues with the major league team with uh, the impact quality of players because they don't have much to show for in the top rounds of the draft. So a lot of the guys that are part of the team are from trades they made with other teams and are from later round draft picks. So they definitely have to start hitting on those first rounders, and uh, hopefully uh, him along with a couple other recent ones are are uh, you know, step forward in the right direction. Hey Tony, just a couple quick questions here. Uh, Ken Babby is the new owner of the Akron Arrows. Uh, that seems to have been a good move for the ball club because they're doing a lot of improvements down at, not only at the stadium but also with the ball club and, and making it more fan friendly down there. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, I've, I've made comments over the years where you know Akron that's a pretty good market there for the Indians, a Double A team out there, and I, I've always felt like that the fan base is was just it didn't match up. I think they've got one of the worst attendance. Um, it's been it has been good. Over the years, and it, it may never recover. It may never be an amount. You know, it, may, it may never amount to much. But I do think that some of that was actually with ownership, and, and actually an ownership that was not very involved. And hopefully now with Babby and um, in the mix, you know, we've already seen it. He's made some ballpark improvements. They made some um, other improvements with the game day experience. Um, you know, you know, he's 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 a more hands-on kind of guy. Uh, he's more upfront and uh, visible, so to speak, and he's out there. So hopefully, you know, not just with him, but you know, you know the talent is actually obviously going to change things. You know, if you, if you have a pretty talented team, hopefully, you get some more people at the ballpark. But that's a good little uh, space to watch a game because if anybody's ever been out to Canal Park, um, you know, it's kind of nice. It, 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 it used to be one of the crown jewels in the minor leagues when it first opened in '97, but uh, you know since then we've had new ballparks almost pop up every year since then, you know, and, and they just keep coming up. 
but it, it's still it, it's still it's 16 years old. I think this is the 17th season there, and it's still one of the best. Uh, I I still think one of the best facilities that I've uh, come across as far as minor league baseball goes. So definitely great. I think uh, bringing in the new ownership in, in Akron was a great a, a great change. It offers up a a different feel, and I, I'm, I'm hoping that with him in, in charge, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you know, more fans are coming up to the ballpark. Yeah, I agree with you, Tony. I think it's a great ballpark to watch a game at. Hey, one final question. I don't know how much you know about this guy, but I'm going to ask you anyway. He's down with the Reds, and he's probably the most well-known minor leaguer, Billy Hamilton. What can you tell us for our Reds fans? What do you know about him, and, and what should we expect out of him, if anything? Yeah, you know, uh, Billy Hamilton is an interesting guy. I, I've actually had a chance to see him a lot because um, he's come through Dayton. Um, and uh, I think I've seen him in instructionally a couple times. I mean, you know, it, it pretty much comes down. I don't follow him on a regular basis. I'm not familiar with his stats or how he's doing, but I mean, I've seen him. So I know, I, I know what the excitement is with his defense and obviously his speed. I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe we have another Vince Coleman kind of thing going on here where the guy's going to start ripping up a bunch of stolen base records here very shortly. You know, that, that'll, that'll, uh, prove itself out over the course of time. He has to get an opportunity at major league level. It's kind of tough right now with the outfield is how talented it is out there in Cincinnati. They've got some pretty good guys out there. Um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, I, the biggest question with him is probably just the strength. Is it, is it, is it going to translate uh, at the major league level? He's not a very big kid. He's kind of uh, lanky, but um, you know, geez, you can't. I mean, he's got an unbelievable time out of the box. I and mean, I can't remember what the heck. I think it was three something um, coming down the line, which is unbelievable. How fast he is um, going down the line from uh, you know hitting the ball out of the box to getting the first. So he definitely puts a lot of pressure on the defense. Yeah, I'm always a big fan of guys that that can that can do a lot of different things, not just hit, not just play defense, but guys that when they get on base, where, where they take the focus of the pitcher and the hitter sometimes, they're so worried about that guy on base, where it, it can lead to a lot of mistakes, um, and, and actually help out some of the guys at the plate. And I, I think that that's what ultimately he can do. It's just going to come down to can he get on base consistently, so he can get those stolen base opportunities and that ability to. Uh, you know, impact the game. So definitely, uh, he, he's definitely a fun guy to watch because of that speed dynamic. You know, you know, if Cleveland fans know when they had Lofton how much, you know, during, during the nineties, how much he impacted games at the top of the order there. And he was a big, a very good table setter. And, you know, speed, speed kills, you know, as they say. And you get a guy in that on first base and next thing you know, he's on third base, you know, be it uh, by a stall base, sacrifice fly or whatever. It definitely changes that the dynamic of the uh, lineup. So I'm, I'm very, very intrigued to see what he does over the next couple of years uh, when he gets a you know a full time opportunity and a chance to play every day with the Reds. Well, Tony, you've got so much here to talk about. I mean, I, we, we're going to have to have you on later on in the year because there are so many things that I wanted to get to that we just didn't have time tonight. And I don't know how you have yeah. enough time to do anything. I mean, you've got. You've got your Twitter, which is at TonyIBI. You you do your blog, which is Minor Happenings at FoxSportsOhio.com. And then, of course, uh, the IndiansBaseballInsider.com. Plus, you've got your book. Uh, I, I'm surprised you've got time to even eat. 
<laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a lot of uh, a lot going on. And the funny thing is, is I probably spend more time in a day managing the site and getting things all worried about where who's doing what and who's doing this and posting that that and answering emails and all that stuff. That it is kind of funny how it all works in there. But you know, you, you find a way to make time and. You know, between doing that and calling and texting people throughout the league, it's just, uh, it, it's definitely, uh, every day leads to new things, and it, I, I wouldn't do it otherwise. It's a lot of fun. Tony, thanks for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it. We'll have you on later on in the year. I appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Thanks. Thank, thank you, Tony. Thank Tony you. Lastoria, our guest tonight. We're going to be back with more in our Ask Us segment and also our big announcement coming up right after this. Last year's Rookie of the Year, Dylan Michael, has in his second year with Cincinnati been named the league's most valuable player. Michael shook off any sophomore jinx by leading the league in hits, home runs, and came within two RBI of capturing the Triple Crown. 19-year-old Michael was quoted as saying, he appreciated the award, but was disappointed the team could not advance beyond the first round of the playoffs. Last at bat, a novel by Mark Donahue, available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And, of course, you can also get Mark's book by just simply signing on to UltimateSportsTalk.com and ordering it there. Mark, well, I'll tell you what, we went down the Indians' uh, farm system there. I want to get somebody on from the Reds, too, so we can go down their their system also. Well, yeah, I, I think we uh, need to cover that on the Reds' side, too, because uh, looking at the, the names on the Reds' roster – uh, they have the Billy Hamiltons. They have some other guys down there that I, I think are going to make him. They're, they're impact players, and uh, th there are people who study that more closely than I. But uh, a year ago, you had the Tony Singrani and Billy Hamilton as the two guys that were likely to make uh, the most impact on the big league team in the next couple of years. And Singrani certainly has done his part, and he he, you know, I think he's going to be a fixture in the Reds rotation for the next number of years. And uh, t next year is going to be a big year for Billy Hamilton because, you know, I believe he's 22 years old now, and next year he'll be 23. That's no longer a blushing young rookie. Uh, you know, you, you have to be able to, to start producing or you, you get to the big leagues when you're 25, 26, and uh, that, that's not really what you want as an organization. You want to have your players... Uh, in big leagues earlier than that. So uh, the Reds have some real talent, and uh, I think that it will be interesting to get somebody on here who can who can talk about that. Okay, it's time for our big announcement. And I know Mark and I are excited about this. Uh, we're hoping you will be also. I think you will be because uh, we have got a Hall of Fame interview coming up next week, Mark, and it has to do with the Pepsi Max Field of Dreams game, which is coming up later on this season with a lot of players in it. Uh, just for uh, example, they've got Pedro Martinez, uh, Reggie Jackson, I believe, is going to be involved, uh, Vince Coleman, uh, several players. But the big announcement is, is that next Monday night we are going to have as an interview Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame catcher Johnny Bench. We have got the opportunity to talk to him this coming week, and we will have that interview next Monday night on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. That is quite an honor. 
It sure is, and congratulations to, to you, uh, Dave, for uh, for getting that. And uh, you know, Johnny Bench is one of those iconic players now. As as he ages, uh, you look at his statistics and, and just an unbelievable career that he had. And yet, he retired at 35. And you you want to you know you wonder in this day and age with the the way the players are playing into their 40s. Uh, what his numbers would have looked like had he played, you know, like like Carlton Fisk did till he was 42. Uh, his numbers would have been unassailable forever. Uh, and you know, one thing that I, I I look at with interest here, when when you when all of us are somewhat critical of, of these young players coming up and not performing early in their careers, uh, it, it was a small sample to be sure. But when he came up in 1967 at the age of 19. Uh, Johnny Bench hit 163, and that was certainly uh, no harbinger of what was to come. But it's interesting; even the, the Hall of Famers, uh, they, they have struggles when they when they come up, and uh, it's it's pretty interesting that Johnny uh, turned out to be the the superstar he did. But it, it's also interesting that his lifetime batting average in the big leagues was 267. And I always thought it was higher than that. But you look at his other numbers and just off the chart, and what is not shown here is what a stupendous defensive player he was. And one of my favorite images of, of Johnny Bench, I think it was in it was 1968 or 69, uh, we were down at, the, at Crosley Field watching a game, and I believe Jim Merritt, a left-hand pitcher was pitching for the Reds, and Johnny Bench was just a kid. He was just uh, you know one year removed from being a rookie, and Merritt threw up there a, like a 65 mile an hour curveball, and Johnny Bench got pissed, caught it barehanded, stood up and threw a seed back to Merritt, and almost took his hand off, saying you know snap that thing off, and I'll never forget that. <laughs> there weren't that many people in the stands that day, but. That, that stuck in my mind my entire life, seeing him do that. I, I remember hearing that story about him doing that. You know, there's a couple of things about Bench that I don't know if we're going to have time to ask him. Matter of fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open it up to the fans here tonight. If you would like, send us a question that you would like us to ask Johnny Bench to ask us at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. We've only got 15 minutes with him. Um, so we have to get the questions in quickly, and I don't know how many we're going to be able to get in, but I want to take one or two from the fans and get them in. So make sure that you send those questions in. they got to be in by next Tuesday night. Or, I'm sorry, by tomorrow night. Not next Tuesday night. By tomorrow night they have to be in. But, you know, a couple of things, Mark, about Johnny was that, that I found amazing. He, he retired at 35, like you said. He could have gone to the American League and DH'd for probably another three, four, five years, like you said. But he wanted to retire a Cincinnati Red, and that's what he did. And another thing was, he was so good at blocking the plate. I wonder how he feels about the Buster Poseys and the Kurt Suzuki's of today that don't want to block the plate anymore. Their managers tell them, don't do it. Well, I think things are a little different. As good as Johnny Bench was, and he was making good money back in the day, but, you know, these players today are valuable commodities. 
And it's hard to argue with the idea that you're going to crash into a 225-pound catcher who's braced waiting for you to hit him, uh, and both players are at risk. And, uh, you know, it, it, I know it's, it's anti-macho, but I, I would like to see a, a no-collision rule at home plate. I know a lot of the old-timers don't like that, but you have, I mean, would you want to send Joy Votto into somebody at home plate uh, and, and risk your entire season because he's going to crash into somebody. And and if you don't change the rule to make it a rule that you can't do that, these players are still macho enough to do it, even though common sense dictates you don't. So you got to have a rule that says you cannot, you know, run into the catcher. You can slide, you can slide hard, all those things. But to barrel over a catcher and, and you know break a collarbone or break an arm, to me, it, it's it's a silly thing to do. Well, that, that's one thing that you and I are going to agree to disagree on because I think you can be injured sliding into second feet first. I think you can be injured sliding into any base head first, feet first. It doesn't matter. You're still taking the, the chance of being injured. You can be injured just – the way these players go anymore, Mark, they're injured mowing their yard. They, I, it, it's amazing how many injuries they sustain just, just at home doing normal, ordinary chores. I, I agree with that from a, I guess a anecdotal perspective that yeah you can you can run to first base and pull a muscle, but when you're barreling in you know one 225 pounder is barreling into a 250 pounder under a head of steam somebody is going to get hurt, and it could be a debilitating it could be a career ending injury, and to me it is it's just not worth it for either player to for for one run in one game it, it just doesn't make any sense. And you're not going to convince me that players are going to get a hurt as often sliding feet first in the second base as they are slamming into a catcher at home plate. Well, I think, well, first of all, you don't see a lot of players slamming into the catcher at home plate. Secondly, you see, I think you see a lot more players being injured sliding feet first or head first into a base than you do banging into a catcher. Uh, I think the only time you've ever seen a catcher really hurt was Buster Posey, uh, and and he was out for the year. Even Ray Fossey, when he was bowled over by Pete Rose, yeah, they talk about how it it hurt his career, but he was back within a couple of weeks of that incident in the All-Star game. Um, I I just think that there are too many things that they – you just can't outlaw injuries out of the game. I know you've got to try to, but you, you just can't. Well, again, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. I, I think you're, I think you're wrong on this one. And if I was the commissioner of baseball, I would have a rule in place immediately that there is no uh, blasting into catchers uh, that way, dropping a shoulder, and it, it just it, it's completely it makes no sense. And the only reason you're trying to do it is to hurt somebody. That's that's you know you you try to you try to separate them, the catcher from the ball, and the way you do that is you hurt them, you knock them out, you give them a concussion. You break a shoulder, break an arm. That's how you do it. Well, we've got to we've got to wrap up tonight's show, but uh, just a little hint here for you, Cleveland fans. When you tune into Cleveland Radio tomorrow, the Indians game, which they're up right now seven to three over Oakland, will probably be on the back page because the Chicago Bulls just beat the Miami Heat and LeBron James. So it'll be LeBron James all day tomorrow on Cleveland Media. So just leave it at that. Hey, get, make sure you get your questions in for Johnny Bench. Uh, by tomorrow night. You've got to send them to Ask Us or DMitch at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Mark, what have the Reds got this week? 
Well, they got trouble. Uh, they're they're getting beat tonight, seven to three by Atlanta. They got Atlanta this week, and then they have Milwaukee coming in at home. They play well at home, but uh, uh, these are games that uh, are, are going to be problematic for the Reds. I, I think, unfortunately, next week at this time, we may be saying the the Reds went two and four on this uh, on this trip or the the, the the next six games. Well, hopefully, the Indians can do a little better in the nine games. I think they've got to go five and four. They've got these four games against Oakland at Progressive Field. Then they go to Detroit, then come back home for a doubleheader on Monday against the Yankees. So until next Monday night at 9 o'clock with Johnny Bench. Mark, have a good week. Have a good interview. Take care. (laughs) And don't forget to join us on Thursday night with the BBA Baseball Talk Show. We're going to be talking to David Nichols about the Washington Nationals and Casey McLean on the Seattle Mariners and old friend Eric Wedge. Our thanks to Tony Lastoria for being our guest tonight from IndiansProspectInsider.com and also to you for listening tonight. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night, everybody.